Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has prostate cancer. And that's why he was in the hospital. And then there were complications. And that's why he went back to the hospital. Okay. And? What next? Do you think that the Secretary of Defense having prostate cancer is an excuse for not informing the President of the United States of his whereabouts or that he was having surgery, that he would be incapacitated? That you had the undersecretary taking charge, except she was on vacation and didn't know that the secretary was in a hospital. Why would anybody think that any of this is okay? None of this is okay. None of this comes close to being okay. So why is this being defended? And how is it possible that no one's getting fired? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. John Kirby, right? He is, he's, uh, I, I think he's now the part-time press secretary for the president. He's going to let you know that the undersecretary, Kathleen Hicks, was more than capable of handling things. Had there been a need uh, by the commander-in-chief to de- to task the Defense Department or to uh, seek greater, greater clarity from the Defense Department about a specific issue, the deputy secretary, Kathleen Hicks, who had that authority delegated to her, who had a full communications suite with her uh, while she was on leave and, and fully staffed, would have been more than capable uh, of being the acting secretary of defense for that period of time. She wasn't told. You're telling us after the fact, everything ipso facto. That's not enough. If the defense secretary had a medical issue, I only hope he's okay. I hope they got the cancer. I hope it is resolved. I hope that he gets to have a happy and joyous and long life. But none of it changes the fact that the president wasn't uh, contacted. That Kathleen Hicks, the deputy secretary, had a full suite and complement of of tools at her disposal, I would assume that that's SOP, standard operating procedure. Nothing about that shocks or surprises. But she didn't know he was in the hospital. And none of it changes the fact that the president of the United States did not know. This is the story. What kind of children are these? that they think this can take place and somehow magically it's fine because it's clear from the White House that Lloyd Austin isn't going to be fired and Lloyd Austin needs to be fired. If you're the President of the United States and you're accepting this, well, that's madness. Now, there are a couple of takes here. One comes from Congresswoman Elise Stefanik of New York. And look at the scandal right now with the Secretary of Defense. I represent thousands of troops from Fort Drum, the 10th Mountain Division, who are deployed in the Middle East right now. It is unacceptable that you have a Secretary of Defense who is not transparent with the White House. So I'm looking forward to being active on that issue to deliver accountability and transparency. And I call for his resignation. So you want him fired? Absolutely. 
it has an impact on, first of all, adversaries are watching. If you look at the national security challenges around the world today, whether the Middle East on fire, whether you think about China continuing to be on the rise, continuing to watch for American weakness, this asserts American weakness, and it shows the White House has no idea what's going on. The fact that they did not know, the President of the United States did not know, it is unheard of. This is why I called for the Secretary to resign. This is why we're doing an an investigation. Now, I think it's an interesting point about the showing of weakness. I don't disagree with that. I would argue that I am more bothered that the guy in charge is okay with this. To me, that is beyond irrational. Now, we should note that it isn't just Republicans at this moment talking about this. This is Congressman Adam Smith. He is on the House Armed Services Committee talking to Caitlin Collins on CNN. But on the the process here and how this happened, do you believe that it's appropriate that President Biden just learned about this diagnosis and what happened on December 22nd today? Absolutely not. I mean, this is very troubling. Let me say, I think Secretary Austin has done a great job as Secretary of Defense. When you look at the coalition that he has put together to defend Ukraine, at the response to the Israel crisis, we're we're in a very, very difficult uh, set of circumstances for our national security. He's done a great job, but there's really no excuse that I can think of for not having informed the president, number one, that you had cancer, but certainly, number two, that he was having this surgery and that he was hospitalized. And that's the one question that we have to have answered. What did Secretary Austin think? I mean, why did he think that it was okay not to tell the president? I mean, he, Secretary Austin's number two in command of the military. Uh, president's number one. It, it's really important that he keep him informed. He didn't in this case. And, and I can't imagine a, a plausible explanation that, that justifies that decision. That you can get behind. That is rational and that is cogent. What possibly excuses the lack of information? The answer, of course, is nothing. And the reason I bring this up again is because what this gets to, and if you caught me on Newsmax earlier this week, I had this conversation, I had it in a, in, in a joking way, but you, you, you learn from it how, how serious this is. You're the guy in charge. You're the CEO. You're the boss. And one of your people is gone for three days and no one tells you. Now, I stated that I think it's weird that he didn't have any communication with his Secretary of Defense for three days in this environment. Makes me wonder exactly how often he speaks to his Secretary of Defense. Then it makes me wonder how often he speaks to his cabinet. How often? And does he reach out to them or do they reach out to him? Or does nobody reach out to Joe Biden? Because Joe Biden is an incompetent old man and wouldn't know if he had had the conversation with you anyway. But Adam Smith, Congressman Smith here is absolutely right. What was Secretary Austin thinking? Why did he think that it was okay not to tell the president? And why would the president, having been informed yesterday of the true nature of the secretary's medical condition, why would he accept it? Why would he accept being treated that way? That question has not been answered. 
think of the level of disrespect, not only that Secretary Austin has for the president, but that the Pentagon has for the president, that they felt no need whatsoever to inform him. No one thought it mattered. I thought this came to a fantastic head-to-head when Peter Ducey, the only guy who seems to ask questions, I, I shouldn't say that, Jackie Heinrich, I think, does really excellent work. I think she, she's a bit unsung over, over at Fox. I think she does excellent, excellent work. Uh, but Peter Ducey crushes. He, 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 does, he gets more of the fanfare. He crushes when he's there at the White House. And Peter Ducey asked a question of John Kirby, who again is now the de facto press secretary because Corinne Jean-Pierre is ignorant and embarrassing. She, she's terrible, terrible at her job. If it doesn't come from a binder, she doesn't know how to say it. Check out this back and forth between Kirby, who is the, uh, he's with the National Security Council, he does uh, strategic communications, and Peter Ducey from Fox. Wait, thank you for all the detail on that. But more broadly, why should we believe anything that this administration tells us about anything ever again? I think we all recognize, and I think the Pentagon has been very, very honest with themselves about uh, the um, the challenge to, to, to credibility by what by what has transpired here, and by what and by uh, uh, how. how how hard it was for them to be fully transparent with the American people. I think first things first, no one was talking about them being transparent with the American people. He wasn't transparent. They weren't transparent with the president. And by the way, that, that took, uh, between the question and the answer, 34 seconds to get to that moment. There was a lot of stumbling, fumbling, mumbling going on from John Kirby there. Cause he knows there's no good answer. But remember, what he said there is inconsequential. Being transparent with the American people is not the story for at least this conversation. He didn't tell the president. Nobody did. We all recognize that. And, and wait, wait, wait now, just give me a second now. I, I know you got another one coming here, but, but we all recognize that this didn't unfold the way it should have on so many levels, not just the notification process up the chain of command, but the transparency issue. We all recognize that. And, and I think we all want to make sure we learn from that. I, uh, it's up to you and your colleagues, and it's up to the American people to determine you know, how much they're going uh, to ascribe what happened here to our credibility on every single issue. But in, in every way, Secretary Austin has been an exceptional defense secretary, and he still has the full faith and confidence of the commander-in-chief. Why? Why does he still have the full faith of the commander-in-chief? What has he done to earn that? No one communicates. You still have full faith. Don't you have questions? And what's this idea of we've learned from it? Who cares what you learned from? You had to learn this as the leader of the Pentagon? You didn't know this from all your military training that you have to inform your superiors of your whereabouts? Guys, you understand. You understand that John Kirby here is completely full of crap, right? 
Uh, he has led uh, the department at an incredibly dangerous time for uh, our national security interests and those of our allies and partners. But if the administration is going to go to such great lengths to keep secrets about the defense secretary's health, how can anybody be certain that the administration would not go to the same lengths to keep secret problems with President Biden's health in the future? Brilliant, brilliant question. It's the question you would ask, but he asked it beautifully and said it directly. If if you could logically argue, and you can't, but if you could logically argue that the administration... He's 81 years old. Wait a second. Just give me a second here, bub. I'll get there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did did you just call Peter Ducey bub? President Biden's help in the future. If... If you could logically argue, and you can't, but if you could logically argue that the administration—he's years old. Wait a second. Just give me a second what? here, bub. There I'll get there. Oh, he did. He did. He did call him bub. Just give me a second what? here, bub. There. Just give me a second what? here, bub. There. I'll get there. Sure. Sure. Okay, bub. It's a professional outfit right here. If. If the administration made some sort of Machiavellian effort uh, across the board to, to to keep this from getting public, then I think your question has merit and, and certainly is a fair one. I don't think it's a fair one because that's not what happened here, Peter. What happened here is the Secretary of Defense, uh, for whatever reason, I can't answer the question why, uh, that information wasn't shared. It wasn't shared widely in the department, and it worse? certainly wasn't shared with you the United States. It's, it's not good. It's certainly not good, which is why, again, we want to learn from this. We want to We want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. If you have to learn from this, the military is a complete and total failure and everybody in the upper echelons needs to be demoted to private and then discharged dishonorably. Letting people know your whereabouts seems to be job, you know, something that you you learn the first week. Not a military guy, but it seems to be that's something you learn pretty quickly. You have to learn from this? Fire everybody. Then everybody will learn. This is nonsense, childlike, ridiculous pablum coming from the White House. These are children. You are right to be disgusted by their ineptness. But not only are they proud of their ineptness, they celebrate it and they rally around it. They will rally around the fact that the defense secretary has no respect for the president of the United States. And it should bother you. It should bother you because even if you don't like the president, you don't like the policies, you still respect the office. You respect it, but the defense secretary doesn't. And those who work in the Pentagon don't. Man, this story has has got layers on layers. And I'd fire Lloyd Austin on the spot. I'm Tony Katz. My life be like... question is who bribed hunter biden to be here today that's my first question um second question you are the epitome of white privilege coming into the oversight committee spitting in our face ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed what are you afraid of you have no balls to come up here and mr chairman point of inquiry oh i don't think you need a point of inquiry after that i I think representative mace said it clearly enough for everybody to understand Tony Katz 
Holy crap. Tony Katz today. Uh, Hunter Biden showed up at the oversight committee hearing. Just showed up. And that's Nancy Mace losing her mind and everybody and their mother has got some kind of kind of point of order uh, to, to, to make there. And then in the middle of the hearing, he just walks out. Walks right out. For five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Apparently, you're afraid of my words. Whoa. Uh, here- <laughs> oh. I'd like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene. She was about wow, to get that's to too bad. some comments, and Hunter Biden and his team just get up and walk out. Don't ask me. Whole thing is not what was the point what was the point and then he's in the hallways and people are asking what can only be seen as the basic questions you please i'll answer your question if you be quiet and let me make a statement okay crack you normally smoke mr biden let me <laughs> oh my gosh this is america What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? It's the Mr. Biden that makes that perfect, by the way. Oh, that is just absolutely precious if it wasn't all so incredibly embarrassing. He wasn't expected to be there. He shows up at the House Oversight Committee with his attorneys. Right? This committee hearing was considering a resolution that if went through, it would set up a House vote on whether or not to hold him in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena as part of the whole House impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. Now, I love this because it puts Democrats on the record. Are they going to vote no? It's okay to defy a congressional subpoena? Because once you're on the record, you're on the record. And you know what they'll say for the next one when they do it to a Republican? Well, in the case of Hunter Biden, that wasn't serious. But everyone knows this is serious. Uh, Congressional subpoena is congressional subpoena, whether you like it or not. So either you have to comply or you don't. So I love the idea of putting this on the record and getting Democrats on the record to say you don't have to comply with uh, a, a, a government subpoena. I love it. Fantastic. And then he gets up and he leaves. Now, as you know, he didn't show up to the closed door hearing. Instead, he makes a statement outside the Capitol where he's flanked by Congressman uh, Eric Swalwell, who I'm saying never had sex with that Chinese spy. He's not man enough to do that. I'm just saying what is is what is. So what happens next in this? I don't know. I I really don't know what's going to happen next with this. Uh, He'll get subpoenaed uh, again or or he'll be, you know, uh, they'll move forward on this on this resolution uh, to hold him in contempt and uh, it'll go from there. But if you ask me what I think of the the this bit of nonsense pageantry. It doesn't change the fact that Joe Biden seems to have made money off of his son and his son made money off of his father. And that needs to be investigated to the fullest extent. I'm Tony Katz and this is Tony Katz Today.
I wanted to dig in a bit more about this real estate issue, specifically this office space issue that's going on not only in, in Indiana, but across the country and not just in places like Indianapolis or Fort Wayne, Muncie, Bloomington, Evansville, all dealing with the issue, which is the office space is empty. The office space is empty because people don't want to come back to work. And that's going to lead to a whole conversation about how that is dealt with by employers, exactly how rough and tumble will, you know, these things get. Over the past year, it is clear that not every business can get people to come back. And this is going to become not only an issue for the downtown businesses that rely on the people coming to the offices, but it's going to be a story of whether these businesses start cutting bait or acquiescing to the people who want to work from home and have nobody watching what they're doing. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Mickey Shuey joins me right now, commercial real estate, tourism, and sports business reporter over at the IBJ. He's the author of the Real Estate Weekly Newsletter at the Indianapolis Business Journal, IBJ.com. I had sent this story to you from the Wall Street Journal. Office vacants, offices around America hit a new vacancy record, 19.6%. And I said, what do you think of this number? And your response was, sounds about right. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. Um, first, I want to kind of do a set the stage a little bit because here in central Indiana, it's important for us to know the numbers for our, for our area, of course. And according to JLL, uh, a brokerage, uh, they they say that the uh, central Indiana number is actually closer to uh, 24% overall, with downtown being around 22.7% uh, uh, vacancy overall. Uh, now, that's not super out of line with that 196 number, but uh, but as I said, it it's not surprising given that there are still a lot of questions about the the future viability of these traditional downtown office spaces. Um, I mean, you, you've still got uh, the, the tall office towers, but, but then you've also got other projects that are actually underway or finishing up uh, of new office space in other parts of downtown. Like you've got bottle works, you've got the studs, you're eventually going to have 11 park and circle center. So really the big question that pops into my mind as a reporter is how do those, areas, how do these uh, kind of specialty districts affect the the future of the downtown core uh, office space? Well, it could be to an, an answer to that question is people will be attracted to the new thing and they'll move out of the old thing. So it's just a question of re-adjusting re, 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 uh, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic and it's not actually solving the issue. And when you talk about 24%, well, if the average is 19.6, that's one in five offices open. Once you get near 25%, it's one in four offices uh, open. So I, I, me personally, I thought that number was pretty staggering. Talking to Mickey Shuey, commercial real estate, tourism, and sports business reporter for the Indianapolis Business Journal, IBJ.com. What are the building owners telling you about their plan? I assume they have discussed, here's how we think we can get people back. What are they discussing? I mean, a lot of the building owners right now are staying pretty mum, but those I have talked with have, have really said that they're trying to focus on kind of quality of place type improvements 
things like like lounges and and more open open office spaces and shared spaces for workers. Um, you've also got that going on within the the um, the rent ranks as well. I mean, you've got companies that are trying to open up uh, larger break areas and and gathering spaces. And that's something that was really popularized right after COVID, but it continues to be a trend because uh, companies are trying to get their their workers back. I mean, it's uh, I'm downtown at least three four days a week, and and I will say that from my experience, there's been uh, like there's still a ton of cars on the road and everything, but but certainly in the offices, uh, there's there's not nearly as many people as there were pre-pandemic. So. I think they're trying to figure that out, but but more importantly, a lot of these building owners, I think, are to some extent trying to just keep the doors open. I mean, we've we've had at least one major uh, building downtown, uh, Circle Tower on Money in the Circle, uh, uh, go into uh, receivership because the owner was allegedly not able to pay the bills. So. I think that's going to be a question as we go through 2024, whether we're going to see more companies, uh, excuse me, more building owners uh, encounter those sorts of issues with their buildings. So let's discuss, you You brought this up earlier. We're not just talking about the, the massive quote unquote skyscrapers. We're talking about the three-story office complex, which you can find in Indianapolis. You can find in Muncie. You can find in, in, in Bloomington and all across uh, Indiana, they're having problems as well. Are their problems greater because they don't, by nature, have the amenities of the larger office complexes? Uh, perhaps to an extent, yes, I, I would say so, especially for those kind of standalone standalone buildings. Because uh, when you get the Keystone at the Crossing, for example, and, and the, uh, the Keystone office park there, all of those buildings have the amenities or shared amenities that they can work with. But but the uh, the smaller uh, single um, single building uh, campuses are, are are certainly encountering issues as well. Uh, that's not really broken down in the data all that clearly. So uh, understanding that uh, takes a little bit more finessing. But uh, but certainly uh, they're they're encountering issues the same as uh, what downtown or even the the, uh, the suburban office parks are. So I, I mentioned Muncie and, 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 and Bloomington. These cities, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, et cetera, what are the cities doing to try and get the businesses to bring people back? How is that progressing? I mean, honestly, it's it seems to be staying about the same. I mean, we've we've continued to see uh, efforts from uh, from Develop Indy and, and other um other economic development arms uh, try and try and bring companies in, but there's not necessarily a uh, a tried and true formula to do that, especially at a time when uh, the the stock is go- or the the uh, occupancy is going down because people want to work from home. And this is something that we really not encountered before, so I think people are still trying to kind of crack that code a little bit. Uh, especially on the city side and ensuring uh, longevity for uh, the downtown central business district. Before I let you go, how long does this go on? Is this a uh, financial disaster still in, in, in the waiting, still in the coming on for 2024? Or is there a belief that there will be some relief in this year? You know, 
I, I hate to say it, Tony, but I, it's hard to answer that one because I think we are still in the early stages of this in terms of finding a solution. Because uh, once once you find the solution, it's only a matter of time before that starts rolling out and, and being uh, popularized. So I think once once these companies find a solution and, and are able to kind of crack that code, uh, we'll start to see some relief. But until that happens, we're going to continue to see uh, more vacancy increases. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I, I am curious uh, on my own, what, what we're going to see happen with those office tower, towers long-term because uh, converting them uh, is, is not an, an inexpensive task. By any means, you mean like turning them into condos and things like that, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we we've seen that happen a couple times, uh, particularly with the uh, two twenty building uh, at two twenty North Meridian from Keystone. They spent about eighty million dollars, and it it turned out to be a very well done uh, property. But uh, but that's that's not an easy thing to do, given just the size of these buildings and and the breakdowns of their interiors. Mickey Chewy of the Indianapolis Business Journal, IBJ.com. I appreciate you taking the time. You know, the focus has been naturally and rationally on major city downtowns. It's not just major city downtowns. That's that's the point. It, if, if it... Let's let's say that the major cities can engage some level of incentive and it does bring people back to some acceptable level of filling uh, the, the offices. It doesn't... It's, that's not necessarily what's going to work in smaller cities. Now, it might have some level of drag-along effect, but the smaller cities have to figure out how they're going to deal with that. Now, maybe the, what the smaller city is saying is, we don't care if they work in the office or not, they're still utilizing the services of the city because it's a smaller city. They're still going out for lunch. They're still going out for dinner. They're still shopping over here. So we actually feel it less, even if they're not coming to the office. Well, how good will a city feel about all that open office space and the blight that comes with it? Because eventually some landlord can't afford to be the landlord anymore. And there, then that tenant has to move. So now you have some uh, office spaces that fill up because that's how uh, the, the movement went, right? The natural migration. And now you've got some empty buildings and the blight that comes with it. it, it, it it's a different level of maybe dealing with the problem. But I, I think that in all these places, the problem is, is, is there and there's no easy solution for it. But when I see cities that are able to successfully bring people back, I will want to study what it is they're doing. Was it a giveaway? Was there another talking point involved? Was there some other strategy? And then how you can emulate that if indeed it's worth doing. We will follow the story. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. So now the plan is to throw out Speaker Mike Johnson. Is that what I'm hearing, Republican Party? You unbelievable bunch of ridiculous dopes. You deserve every bit of derision you get. And the same people who deserve derision are those who say, we have to get rid of Speaker McCarthy. 
You never had to get rid of Speaker McCarthy. It was it was all ridiculous nonsense from the very beginning. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Now, I understand that we may disagree about this, but I'm going to say it again. The people who screamed, we have to get rid of Kevin McCarthy, were wrong. They had absolutely no plan whatsoever. They wasted time. They hurt their own capital, and nothing got better. The release of the January 6th tapes? I mean, if that was worth all of this to you, okay. And I don't mind them being released. I think McCarthy should have released them as well. But you threw McCarthy out because he made a deal regarding uh, uh, government spending to avert a government shutdown. Well, here's Johnson making a deal. It's not a perfect deal. And now we're going to talk about this again? Well, it turns out we are. You have got Republicans who are discussing the idea of vacating uh, the, the House Speaker. They are having an out loud conversation saying, nope, this doesn't work. Chip Roy, Republican out of Texas, a critic of the uh, agreement, said he would consider filing a motion to vacate Johnson over the deal. Quote, I'm leaving it on the table. I'm not going to say I'm going to file it tomorrow night. I'm not saying I'm not going to file it tomorrow. I think the speaker needs to know that we're angry about it. The people who refer to Chip Roy as a rhino, I think are ridiculous people. They're upset that Roy is backing Ron DeSantis and not Trump, so this is what they scream. I would say to Chip Roy that if we're discussing the idea of um, money on, on, on the border and not enough happening there, you won't get disagreement from me at all. What you will get from me is you don't have a plan. And none of your plans are going to get passed. If you say to me, Tony, you have to stand up. I'm going to yell at you. I'm going to yell at you and I'm going to call your sister names. It's going to get nasty. I don't have to be told that we need to stand up. I have to deal with the reality of a House of Representatives and a two-seat majority for the Republicans. And if anybody thinks that things are better when Hakeem Jeffries gets power, you're out of your mind. You're as dumb as a stump and twice as ugly. Don't you get it? This is our reality. And what you want is the masturbatory fantasy of your dream world. I have dreams. Oh, they're good dreams. I have got good and beautiful and joyous dreams, and I'd like to take a moment to share them with you right now. In my dream, there's a hilltop, and on top of that hill is a table set for two. And on that table is a medium steak. It's a ribeye, therefore medium. If it was a New York strip, it'd be medium rare. And there it is. And next to that is a glass of bourbon. But it's magical bourbon because whatever bourbon I think of, boom, that bourbon becomes. It changes as my taste buds change. And an array of cigars, everything I could ever be in the mood for. And there is my wife who is an absolutely perfect woman. Oh, what a dream I have on that hilltop, eating a steak, drinking a bourbon, smoking a cigar. And in that dream of mine, I have a Republican Party that isn't filled with morons. 
Not filled with morons. You will not get everything. You get what you can. You live to fight another day and you keep on fighting. The minute you get your thing, you're on to the next thing. You haven't learned anything from the Democrats, have you? And I would say this to Chip Roy. I ain't afraid. I don't think the guy's a rhino. I just think he's wrong. And if he wants to have this fight, I'll have the fight with him. What does it matter? What, he's going to out-tough me? Get the hell out of here with that kind of crazy. He's just wrong. He's wrong to even mention it. Think it. You guys, you got to go about the winning. This is step one of a multi-step process. Once we get step one, we go for step two. Once we get step two, we go for step three. Once we get step three, we go for step seven, and then we revert back to step four. Do you not understand how the left does this? We're still doing this. It is, it is horrific, it is ridiculous, it is shameful, it is... It's embarrassing! That's what it is. Getting rid of Kevin McCarthy changed nothing. Nothing! It was a mistake from the beginning. Now you have less of a majority. And the same old problems... Because you can't accept the fact that you get what you can and then you come back and you fight again. So much to learn. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.